Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. I've mentioned this before, concerning this precious 15-year-old honor student from Chicago who performed at President Barack Hussein Obama's 2013 inauguration festivities and who was murdered one week later. Seemingly not intentionally, not targeted, but slain by some gangbangers In Chicago, the mean streets of Chicago, and the statement, this one particular statement made by her mother, Cleopatra Cowley. Hadia is serving a death sentence. And the whole family is doing life as a result of her death. If my pronunciation of this young woman's name is off, if instead of Hadia it is Hadia or something else, (laughs) kindly focus on what is of greatest import here, that she, this 15-year-old honor student, is serving a death sentence. And the whole family... is serving a life sentence as a result of her death. This is true in the case of each and every innocent person that is slaughtered, that is murdered, that is destroyed. Every case, this is true. And yet, interestingly enough, in our perverted, corrupted overturned, grossly unrighteous, anti-righteous, unjust justice system. The destroyers more often than not go free. If they are imprisoned, they are routinely found guilty of lesser charges. The charges are reduced, one, to accomplish a conviction, two, because it's just more efficient, (laughs) right? And three, because we don't want to be too harsh. And then they receive habitually, just routinely receive time off from these reduced sentences For reduced charges, they receive time off for good behavior. If they don't commit any murders while they're in prison, they get time off for good behavior. And so forth. And then there are the comparative handful of cases where someone is sentenced to be executed. Of course, there are these seemingly endless appeals, and lo and behold, they may finally be executed 20 or 25 years later, at which time they will protest that they're too old to be put to death. 
that they are in too poor a health to be executed. They're too fat to be executed without suffering pain, so on and so forth. All manner of outrageous things are used to (laughs) thwart our incredibly diluted, diminished, watered-down, idiotically profane excuse of justice, which fails to have any deterrent value because of how things are done. But in each and every case, the murdered, the destroyed, the slaughtered, suffer a death sentence, a death penalty. And very frequently, usually, grievously painful and or torturous. But we in the Western world, we have such noble, advanced ideas. So noble so noble that they are an offense to God and his word and his justice. An absolute offense, but we know better. Our justice system, instead of being based on God's word, on God's laws, it is based on man's corrupted, sinful, foolish, perverted ideas that have been handed down from one corrupt, profane civilization to the next. So we get our great enlightened ideas from the Roman Empire, from the Grecians, who then impart these to to the European continent and to Britain and so on and so forth. So you find throughout all of the so-called Western nations now extending to the Far East, (laughs) to Asia, these convoluted, perverted ideas of justice. Case in point being two young men, two hackers, computer hackers, who slaughtered and disposed of the body of a Foolish but lovely young woman who made the grievous mistake of having anything to do with them over in the Philippines. And I was shocked to see that the maximum penalty, these two, who have been (laughs) absolutely proven beyond any possibility of error, to have committed this grievous, monstrous murder of this young woman, this 23-year-old young woman, the maximum penalty that they can receive is a life sentence. And they've been joking around and what have you in, (laughs) in confinement. Great guys. And they're from America. She's from America. But... Again, just a case in point. Perhaps you remember the Natalie Holloway case. This precious, 
lovely young woman, foolish young woman, lovely young woman, who went on a spring break to Aruba with her high school class, with a high school chaperone or two. And she and the girls went out on the town and were drinking. You know, that's what 17, 18-year-old high school students do, right? (laughs) Right? Anyway, so she was drinking, and she separated from her friends because she found some fellow that was of interest to her, tall, supposedly handsome. His father was the judge, head judge there in Aruba from the Netherlands. And anyway, he ended up murdering her raping and murdering her and disposing of her body. And last I knew, her body had had still not been discovered. He undoubtedly sent it out to sea, where all manner of things can transpire. But this fellow, he, instead of being executed, of course, that's unthinkable, instead of being imprisoned for the rest of his evil existence, he managed to be out and about in short order. And in Peru, he enticed a lovely young woman to come up to his hotel room where he raped and murdered her. He was caught, he was apprehended, he was put in jail, and he attempted to murder a cellmate while he was there. And the last I saw was the maximum sentence he could get was something like five years or seven years, something like that. Second-degree murder. It's one of these crazy Western notions. But I mentioned before about this very lovely young woman, precious young woman, Alexa Cannon at Radford University, psychology student. And she was rooming with another 20-year-old female from Radford who took it upon herself to slaughter Alexa. The last name of the female that slaughtered Alexa, appropriately enough, is Cutting. And she slaughtered Alexa with a butcher knife. And... Alexa tried calling for help, calling the police, and the dispatcher heard frantic sounds and a woman yelling and making reference to a knife. When the police arrived, they found Alexa on the floor, having been stabbed multiple times And of all things, a butcher knife was sticking out of her mouth. And the other young woman was covered with her blood and said that she killed her. As in murdered, slaughtered, destroyed. Destroyed her beautiful roommate. And guess what? What was this young woman cutting, charged with second-degree murder. Second-degree murder. Why is that? Is it because she hadn't been, they leaped to the 
conclusion that she hadn't been plotting this for X amount of time? Is that it? She stabbed after the phone call, after the phone call to the police, in which Alexa is terrified she's about to be stabbed by her dear roommate. Her dear roommate slaughters her, stabs her multiple times in the face, throat, chest. And the last blow to her mouth with the butcher knife leaves it sticking out of her mouth when the police arrive. Second-degree murder, classic case of second-degree murder. Reminds me so much of a case, and this just happened. I mean, this one with Alexa, this was just you know, in the last month, but reminds me of a case back in 2011, April. A lovely woman who believed in interracial, romantic, sexual relationships. And so she was living with a fellow for a couple years, and he was brutal to her and terrorized her, and she finally decided to leave him. But instead of just up and leaving him, they were living together in New York City. Instead of just leaving, fleeing, she scheduled a time on Sunday, a Sunday, for her parents to come over to this apartment and to help her move out, to leave this fellow who was just a tyrant and a monster. But, of course, she's going to spend one more night with him. It just, you know, in the same bed with him. That just makes all kinds of sense. That's how wise this lovely young woman was. 23 years of age, Sarah Coit, her parents of Greenwich, Connecticut, Well, a Dutch tourist who was in the building, he said, quote, she was screaming for quite a while. She was in a lot of distress, I guess. Her dear boyfriend, Raul Barrera, 33. Raul is one of those Hispanic Latino black men. Good-looking guy, looked like he could have been a Star player for the New York Yankees. He wasn't a New York Yankee, but he he just had that look. Well, Sarah Coit was stabbed and stabbed and stabbed and nearly decapitated by her boyfriend, Raul. Raul was charged with second-degree murder. Raul worked in public relations, and he knew how to spin things. So he told the police that she attacked him. Fascinating. Her neighbors stated that she was screaming, help me, help me. And that went on for quite a while, at least 20 minutes, according to the Dutch tourist. People were yelling out, where are you? What apartment? She never answered them, so they called 911. 
a 15-year-old boy who lived in the apartment above theirs heard it and called 911. The damages, the condition of Sarah Coit was so extremely grotesque that police told neighbors to look away when they brought Coit out of the building. But one woman, one 20-year-old woman, stated her whole neck was cut all the way. Her head was almost cut off. Second-degree murder. Fascinating. So this wasn't premeditated, really. This happened in the wee hours before, immediately before her parents were to arrive to help her move. No, it wasn't planned. Oh, heavens no. And yet Raul Barrera, not only a powerfully built man, But he had, of course, like destroyers everywhere, to choose to use weapons to slaughter her. He pulled several knives from a wooden butcher block early Sunday. Mere hours before her parents were due to arrive. He used them to gouge this lovely, foolish young woman's face. He sliced her across the mouth and jaw with such force that one of the knives' blades broke in her. They said that the fatal blow, as if, as if all of this, I mean, how they can narrow it down to this when she is practically decapitated, But they decided in their wisdom that what actually killed her was a gaping stab wound to the left side of her body from which internal organs were protruding. Well, his boss said he wasn't a monster. He was ambitious. A neighbor woman said, I knew he was going to kill her. His eyes were insane. He was a killer. He looked at me like I was a piece of meat. Her neighbors heard her begging for her life on Sunday. And on a previous incident, this same neighbor said, I heard her violent screams when I thought he was killing her. And she called the police. The police responded, but they did not arrest Barrera, New York's best and brightest did not arrest him. Perchance you remember Aaron Hernandez. Well, I'm going to mention a murder that, a murder and a murderer who actually makes Aaron Hernandez look not so bad by comparison, in my view. This is Jared Remy. And to look at the spelling, you'd say, I would say Remy, but 
I know I've heard his father's name pronounced Remy, Jerry Remy, color announcer for the Boston Red Sox forever and a day. This is his dear son. Do you remember the Popeye series of cartoons and Olive Oil and Brutus, I believe? Brutus was the brute, right? This fellow, to me, is a real-life look-alike for Brutus, a beast of a man, powerful, powerful guy, far from handsome and downright evil-looking Jared Remy when he was arraigned. Well, Jared had just been arraigned in Waltham, Massachusetts District Court on a matter of assault and battery. Assault and battery against his girlfriend, his foolish girlfriend. He's released on personal recognizance on a Wednesday. Released on personal recognizance. Even though this assault and battery case was in process. He's just released. Even though, fascinatingly enough, he had a record of violent crime. 15 criminal charges since 1998. He was accused of assaulting five people over that period of time, including four women. But he was released. Even though he's on charges of assault and battery against this woman. Released on Wednesday. And then, on Thursday... Several 911 calls about 10 p.m. Police arrived at Jennifer Martell's home. They found her outside on the patio with multiple, multiple stab wounds. Remy assaulted her, attacked her, Again, not with mere brute force, oh heavens, no, but with knives in the kitchen, in the living room, on a stairway, and then he pinned her to the ground on the patio where he stabbed her several more times. Neighbors tried to come to her aid, and he drove them back by slashing at them. That's right. Great guy. Wonderful fellow. His defense lawyer, this reminds me so much of the Raul Barrera case. His defense lawyer says his client had what could be described as defensive wounds. (laughs) Meanwhile, her four-year-old was in this apartment house and was unhurt, but turned over to 
state child welfare. They didn't know if dear old Remy was the daddy or not. Now, this goes back a ways. This goes back to 2013, summer of 2013, but of course, more recent than the matter of Miss Coit, who was slaughtered. Now, these crimes took place, uh, took place, pardon me, in states which are particularly enlightened, you know, particularly enlightened and progressive. So, of course, we can't expect too much to be done, can we? Hmm? Before I go further, let me just say I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in this program, about this program, is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is erring, lacking, is due to me. For a trip down memory lane, if you will, going back to the late 1970s, the latter 1970s, a number of cases of crime there in Boston. Oh, but again, let me just point out, (laughs) repeat, this uh, Barrera was charged with second-degree murder for the monstrous, torturous, prolonged, protracted slaughter of Miss Quaid. Second-degree. Because he said to the police, she attacked him. (laughs) Outstanding. And of course, again, oh, it's so hard to get a first-degree conviction. It's not like there was any evidence. (laughs) He's covered in her blood. And so on and so forth. But no, only charged with second-degree murder. So what's the worst that could happen to him? With a charge, an initial charge of second-degree murder, which, of course, can be pled down further. Outstanding. I mean, that's where we are in the United States of America. But back down memory lane, latter 70s, a number of murders that I happened to read about. One was of a very handsome young Harvard student. I can't remember if he was a pre-med student, even though that's what it seems like to me named Andrew Puopolo. He was the fullback on the Harvard football team. I remember he had a neck like a champion wrestler. And by all accounts was a wonderful person. But his team, the Harvard football team, was going out to celebrate, doing something that they did. This was an annual event And they, whatever, uh, dressed the town of little Boston, Massachusetts, Beantown. And they went through or skirted through uh, the red light district. And one of his teammates was attacked by a black pimp. 
as I recall. Andrew went to his defense, and the pimp stabbed him in the heart, and he died. And after this, because people can be just so wonderful, we just have so many wonderful, kind, empathetic, sympathetic, understanding people. His younger brother, Danny, Daniel, was a student, and he was being given all kinds of grief by other young men and what have you for his brother having been in the red light district. His brother was a straight arrow guy, was on the Harvard football team, and when you're on a team, you do what the team does, unless the team is doing something evil. You go with the team, you participate with the team. That's part of being a member of a team. But he was slaughtered, cut down by the scum of the earth. And that's the way it is so frequently. If you will happen to read these cases so frequently, it's not just the worst of the worst that are committing the crimes, but they're committing them against the creme de la creme. And I remember his and very beautiful family, his beautiful sister, Frances, who was just absolutely tortured over this. And she found out she was pregnant. But the family was absolutely destroyed by this. And, of course, Massachusetts, you know, no death penalty, far, far, far from it. Another case, that same time frame, from Boston, dear old Boston. An outstanding young man who was either at MIT or Tufts, or possibly Harvard, but I don't think so. I think it was MIT or Tufts. And he rode crew. He was six foot five, hale and hearty. And he was with another fellow when they were walking down a street, and a car came along and stopped. And the one fellow ran, and these guys jumped out. They grabbed him, threw him in the car, and they started to beat him. And he managed to break away, to bolt out of the car, and they went after him, and they murdered him with either a jack handle or a tire iron. I can't remember which. Like Andrew Puapolo, good athlete, fit, strong, healthy, young, but they didn't know how to defend themselves, especially from people that were armed, and they didn't have any sense of awareness of danger, and they didn't know how to deal with it. And they were up against absolute, vicious, ruthless destroyers. Then another case, a boy who I believe was 15 years of age, high school hockey player, ice hockey player in Boston or the suburbs of Boston. 
he and a couple buddies, they were at a party. And then there was another group showed up. And the boy leader of that group was either 17 or 18. Can't remember which, but I believe 18. And he had a stellar family tree. He had, as I remember, five policemen in his family, in his immediate (laughs) or extended family, as far as father and uncles. And whatever happened there, a fight started and spilled outside of wherever the party was. And instead of it being a fist fight, the older boy, the one who was in charge of his group, he pulled a knife and he stabbed the younger boy in the head over and over and over and over. Now, you don't drive a knife through a skull once, let alone repeatedly, without intent to do so, to slaughter, to destroy. That's what he did. Now, if they had been in a fist fight, the hockey player may have fared all right. If they'd been in a wrestling match, I believe the hockey player would have prevailed. But here you had a baseball pitcher, a varsity baseball pitcher, who is throwing motion his hand with his fist around a knife, a knife blade into the other boy's head. And from a stellar family. Well, he probably got, you know, special consideration because because of his wonderful family, when in fact it should have been exactly the opposite. He should have received a specially harsh penalty coming from a family like that. But an absolute destroyer. I don't know what he received as far as penalty, but I do know he has been released long, long, long ago because, again, this is the wonderful enlightened state of Massachusetts, and this took place back in the 70s. The other boy suffered vicious destruction, but this boy, oh, well, older, wiser, turn him loose. And then there was another case, Boston, Massachusetts. A lovely young Caucasian woman, and by the way, all of these victims are Caucasian, okay, but lovely young Caucasian woman out driving her car by herself and got lost and ran out of gas. And back when... Cell phones (laughs) were not around, and she had a gas can, I guess. Either that or she got one at the gas station, but she hiked, went to a gas station, either filled up a gas can or borrowed a gas can and had it filled. And instead of getting a ride back, instead of calling the police, instead of getting some help, she walked back to her car. And she met a gang of black teenagers who grabbed her, 
soaked her with the gasoline from the can and torched her, slaughtered her because she was white and because she was committing the terrible, egregious crime of being in their territory. You remember the matter of the Native American elder claiming that the Catholic high school students were in his territory? Same kind of mentality. These cases all took place in the same time frame in the same immediate area. No death penalties. Absolutely not. Life sentences, those don't mean anything. If you imagine that a life sentence for a convicted felon means they remain in prison for the rest of their life, then you are badly mistaken, sadly mistaken. It doesn't work that way. It simply doesn't. But, you know, all of this follows along the rules of dear old Darwin and his grandfather Erasmus. Yes, the worldview which makes these precepts seem true. Man is just an animal. Only the strongest and the most violent and the most vicious and the most ruthless have a right to survive. Might makes right. Inferiors, meaning those who are kind, who are gentle, who are loving, who are caring, who are compassionate, who are trusting, who are helpless, who are harmless, They should be eliminated for the good of the species. For the survival of this species. And at least one of the races of humans must be superior to the rest. Also, there are no absolutes concerning right and wrong, morality and so forth. No. Well, perhaps you recall, I expect you recall, the Islamist terrorist massacre of the office, at the offices of the Charlie Hebdo newspaper magazine in Paris, France, back in 2015, this newspaper magazine, under the leadership of its editor, Stéphane Charbonnier, did the unthinkable, is that they published cartoons which were supposedly provocative, which made fun of Islam. So surprise, surprise, Islamist terrorists targeted 
the offices and they slaughtered the editor and at least 11 others at the time that this that I saw this so others may have perished afterwards but interestingly enough various news organizations censored their coverage of this. That's right. They censored their coverage of it. Why would they do such a thing as that? Remember what Joseph Pulitzer said? You know, And he was referring to our republic, but just plug in whatever you prefer there. Our republic and its press will rise or fall together. An able, disinterested, meaning impartial, public-spirited press with trained intelligence to know the right and courage to do it can preserve that public virtue without which popular government is a sham and a mockery. A cynical, mercenary, demagogic, dare I say intellectually dishonest and immoral, press will produce in time a people as base as itself. The power to mold the future of the republic will be in the hands of the journalists of future generations. Again, this is emblazoned on a wall plaque at the press club in Washington, D.C. Well, lo and behold, CNN, Associated Press, CBC in Canada, the New York Daily News, and many others self-censored their coverage of this Islamist terrorist massacre at the offices of Charlie Hebdo, newspaper magazine. And they refused, among other things, to show any images that included the cartoons, any of the cartoons. They blurred the images and so forth. The Washington Post made very impressive statement regarding these other members of the press, these esteemed members of the press. The Washington Post editorial board wrote, quote, Publishers in Western countries have disgraced themselves in recent years with self-censorship to avoid being targeted by Islamic militants. Such acts cannot be allowed to inspire more self-censorship or restrict robust coverage and criticism of Islamic extremism. End quote. Now, Islamic extremism, actually, it's not. <laughs> it's, in point of fact, these Islamist terrorists are following the lead of that vicious, ruthless, satanic, false prophet, Muhammad. 
and his evil demigod, Allah, pseudonym for Satan. But that, that aside, the statements by the Washington Post really were stellar. Interestingly enough, of course, Associated Press and formerly United Press International, which hasn't amounted to much, has not been a power, has not been a force for many years. But Associated Press and UPI have enormous influence on what appears in the major press periodicals across this nation. So much material, source material, comes from those. And so when they slant and corrupt their coverage, it has has just exponential effects across the world of journalism. And then Reuters has become more, much more prominent as UPI has suffered demise, as far as I know. It may, it seems like maybe it's trying to make a comeback or something, but Dear old Associated Press. Associated Press, which, again, is it uh, impartial? You know, what's referred to as disinterested. Is it public-spirited? Does it have trained intelligence to know the right and courage to do it? Is it intent on preserving the public virtue? Well, Associated Press, at the time immediately following this monstrous, murderous attack, it was continuing to sell prints of a photograph entitled Piss Christ. Piss Christ. Selling prints of that photograph. What does that have to do with the business of news. But dear Associated Press was selling, actively marketing, selling prints of a photograph entitled Piss Christ, in addition to a purported, prints of a purported work of art of the Virgin Mary decorated with elephant dung. But Piss Christ depicts Jesus submerged in urine. (laughs) Such artwork. Associated Press. You know, this isn't from the Museum of Modern Art or something like that. This is an active business practice by Associated Press. That organization devoted to, entrusted with disseminating the news. Source news. 
Yes, news information from which others, other organizations, come up with their great writings, their great coverage. Outstanding. (laughs) But meanwhile, they could censor these cartoons poking fun at Islam. Hmm? Oh, yes, very intellectually honest here, don't you think? Yes, very, very intellectually honest. But that's what you find with those of the left. They call the good evil and the evil good. They justify their wrongdoing and they condemn the truth. It goes back to the communist rules for revolution, too. It, to reiterate, these are known as the red rules from 1919. Get control of all media. Control the media. Control communications technology. Encourage civil disorders. Encourage soft, lenient attitude towards violent crime. Forget justice. Encourage soft. Lenient. So-called justice system and law enforcement. Concerning violent crime. Break down the old moral virtues. Break down, undermine, supplant the social mores. Corrupt the young in particular. Get them away from religion. Away from religion, especially away from Christianity, but also Jewry, Catholicism. And get them focused on sexual sin. And cause the registration of all firearms in order to confiscate them thereafter and destroy people's faith in their leaders, in their good leaders. (laughs) Of course, we've, for the most part, gotten beyond good leaders. So this is in keeping with the red rules This is how far the United States of America, this republic, has sunk. That's where we are today. So, when Joseph Pulitzer (laughs) issued his remarks concerning 
the welfare of the republic. He wasn't just whistling Dixie. These things have come to pass terribly, monstrously. The press, the demagogic, mercenary, pandering, lying, cheating, immoral press has had a lot to do with it, but so has corruption and perversity in organized religion and in government, throughout the government. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.